Well, like I said, this is this wonderful day. We have this blessing of the teachers and, um, and the students and the backpacks. You know, we've all had teachers in our life that, that really have meant something to us. That we, and we have those that we, well, we probably regret some of the things we did in their classrooms. But there were some that I can recall. I mean, going back to kindergarten and third grade, and middle school, and high school, and college, and grad. Through every phase of my education, there were teachers that kind of came alongside in my life and made a real difference. They, gave, they had good lesson plans. They had great classrooms, and they, they got the, the material across, and they were just fantastic teachers. But some of them went beyond that. And they gave life lessons. You know, teaching has to be a calling. It just has to be. Otherwise, I can't imagine anybody doing it. I just can't. And so I applaud our teachers who are here at every level. Those who are taught at any level, I applaud you, your patience, your endurance, your persistence, your courage, and your strength. Because it requires all of it. Your expertise, your patience, your compassion for life. Now, as I, um, as I think about education and teachers, and I, I think about when Leanne, we lived in Fort Walton Beach, and she went into the classroom. She became a teacher and taught for about two and a half years. And um, I, I, I realized then, in ways I could not have otherwise realized just what goes into being a teacher. The sacrifices that are required. The, 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 the time, the energy, the, the psychology, the, the emotional energy that is sacrificed for classroom and for students and the financial sacrifices that are given for classroom and for students. It is incredible. And I think about what these teachers do. You know, I, 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 I recall those teachers that really meant something to me, Miss Pope and Miss Simmons, and then the doctors in, in my undergraduate studies and graduate studies. I, I remember Dr. Gross and Dr. Bailey and Barato and Long. I remember those people. They're incredible people because they gave themselves to their students. And if the students were, were wise enough, they would cling to those little nuggets they would get beyond, beyond the material. And I, I, I think about that, and I think about those, what it meant, and what it means, and what it always will mean for teachers to go above and beyond the call, to go beyond the material, to go beyond the lesson plans, and to give themselves to their students in such a way that they are touching the future, a future that they cannot know. Their students and their students' parents cannot know what lies in store down the road. And these teachers go beyond beyond the pale to touch lives in such a way that their futures are impacted in positive ways that these students can live life in such in a, in a better way 
in a good way. And that's the, that's the, the glory of teaching. It's the grunt work of teaching. And it's the glory. And so I applaud that. And I, and, I, and I want us to hang on to this little notion that these teachers in their classrooms and on the playgrounds and, and wherever we find teachers, think about what they will, are willing to do, willing to sacrifice the extra mile they will travel to make sure their students give all, get all they need, all they require for not just the lesson plan of the day or for next week's assignments or for next year's grade, but in life. How these teachers impact life lessons that let students grow and mature and become better people. That's an amazing task, and it has to be a calling. It has to be. And, and as I think about that and this, this day of, of blessings of teachers and students and backpacks, it, it takes me to this parable that's in front of us today. Now, we are in this um, series, Parables, when we are considering the, um, the unique parables that we find in Luke. And last week we talked about the Good Samaritan. And we talked about how, in, how Luke... Um, and Jesus, in this story, this simple little short story, answers this lawyer's question about who is my neighbor. When Jesus answers, the, answers this question, who is my neighbor, he launches into this little story about the Good Samaritan. And he invites this lawyer who, who presents the question, who is my neighbor, to find himself on the side of the road left for dead, in bad shape. And he has watched those whom he would expect to help, those who he would expect to be a neighbor, pass him by. The Levite, the priest. It's the unexpected, the unlikely, the unclean, the Samaritan, the unwanted, who came to his aid, tended to his wounds, placed that wounded man on his animal, and took him to the inn. So they could come back and ensure that the injured man was made whole. And then Jesus turns the world upside down. And he asks the lawyer, and he asks us, Who? Who is the neighbor in this story? And the lawyer again answers correctly, and he says, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed compassion. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Don't look for who's going to help me. Don't look for the expected. Don't look for the likely. Don't look for the one next to me, the one like me. But go and be the neighbor. Go and do likewise. Go and show compassion. Go and show mercy. Be a neighbor to the world around us. The world is flipped. The definition of neighbor has changed. Now this parable today is not like the Good Samaritan. This is a troublesome passage. If you've read Luke chapter 16 verses 1 through 13, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then you're going to in just a moment. I invite us to read together this passage. It's printed in your bulletin. Then Jesus said to the disciples, 
There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is is taking the position away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? And he answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, Or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. May God bless the reading of the word. I told you it was a fun story. It's a troublesome passage. And it's hard to kind of get our hands around this. How is it that this parable can applaud a dishonest steward, a dishonest manager? He's been robbing from his owner, his master, for years. And the master has found out about it. And he tells the manager or the steward to bring in the books. He wants to audit the books. And so now the steward knows he's on borrowed time, that his current position is about to be no longer, and his future is bleak. And so he goes to all those who owe the rich man money, and he begins to doctor the bills. What are we to do with this? Now we get hung up, or I get hung up, on this whole notion that there's this, all this dishonesty in the parable. And there is. When Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, when the writer begins a parable or a story by saying there was a rich man, you can pretty much bet that the rich man is going to be a bad guy. Because that's the way Luke operates. 
And now we have a rich man who's probably a bad guy. He's being cheated by a dishonest, dishonest manager, a dishonest slave. The steward was probably a slave of, of the landowner, and he was given the responsibility to manage the estate in the absence of the rich man. So what are we to do with this? I mean, are we applauding dishonesty here? Is that what Jesus, crook or steal, whatever you can, is that, is that the goal? I don't think so. And maybe to understand this parable best, we have to kind of find out where this parable begins and where this parable ends. Well, it looks naturally, it begins in verse 1. And it probably ends in verse 8. And if we take that as the proper parable, verses 1 through 8, now we have something we can work with. And let's not get hung up on the dishonesty of this. Let's not look at the mechanisms of, of this parable, of how, the, how this manager, this steward, is getting even. Let's, let's consider why. He's acting in such a way. Let's consider for just a moment that the purpose of this parable is to show us as the church, to show us as individuals, to show us as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are stewards on borrowed time and that we need to be looking to the future that we know that our end will come. And that what we are stewards of in this life and on this earth is not ours. It's not. It's God's. God created it for us. God gives it to us to be stewards, to manage. And how we do that is important. And for Jesus in this parable, he's saying, manage your time, manage your wealth, manage your lives in such a way that your focus is on the future. Because we are stewards of what's not ours. But we're also promised to be heirs of what is permanent and eternal. Let me try to explain, because this is, this is difficult. We have this steward. He knows his time is up. He's been sacked. His, his tenure is up. And he knows he has everything that he has and everything that he is doing is coming to an end. And he's looking to the future, to a day when he has no more finances. He has no more of this status as the steward, as the manager. But he's got to find a way to live in the future. He doesn't know what that looks like. But he begins to create a way. He uses his imagination. He uses his creativity. He uses passion. And he uses his focus. And he, loses, he uses a perspective for the future. That maybe, if I can do all that I can, and if I can use all of my resources, and I can use even dishonest resources to prepare the future a future I really don't know maybe I'll have a shot 
And so maybe Jesus is taking that as the, as the, the principal point of this parable. Is that we are to look to the future for what we have today. Because what we have today is on borrowed time. We won't always have what we have. We won't always live on this earth and in this time with what we have. There's a future coming. We're all finite creatures. And Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us, look to the future. Prepare for the future with what you have today. Use your imagination. Use your creativity. Use your mind. Use every means possible to prepare for the future. For a future that will not be taken from you. A future that is, you're no longer a steward, but you're an heir to all that is permanent, all that is eternal. That, that is the principal point. So maybe we just need to look at this parable, look at this story, and know that we have an opportunity. We have a chance in this time and in this place to use all that God has blessed us with to prepare for our future. A future that we don't really know. It's kind of like teachers in the classroom and on the playground. They're preparing for a future that they don't really know. But they're using everything they can, all their energy, all their passion, focus on students' futures. And maybe that's the call of the church, is to use all that we have, all of our resources, all of our energy, all of our passions for the good of the church in the future. Not be distracted, to not be lost with everything of the present. It could be, too, that Jesus is saying, look at the world and how it operates. Look at how the people of this world, look at how the people who aren't of the children of the light, who, who are trying to earn all they can, and will use every means they can. And their entire focus, their entire passion is about gathering. And they will go to any limit to further their own kingdom. What if we had the same drive? What if the church has that same kind of drive? That same kind of passion? That same kind of sacrifice? That same kind of forward-looking to use all that we have. And maybe this is Luke's way of using Matthew's lesson when Jesus tells his disciples, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Just something to think about. As we think about these parables... Let us think about what our focus is about. Jesus concludes his teaching around this parable with that powerful little phrase. About having 
a slave to two masters. We can't. Jesus and the disciples of that day understood that slaves and servants of that day were owned by a master. Everything about a slave was owned by a master. All of the slave's time, all the slave's energy, all, all of the slave's life was owned by the master. And a slave cannot serve two masters because we don't have two lives to give. And Jesus leads us into thinking. Who is our master? What is our master? Is it today, the distractions of today, the wealth of today? Or is it the promises of tomorrow? Is it the kingdom of God and the reign of God in our future? We can't have both. So let us go about the rest of our day and the rest of our days looking to the future, preparing for the future, using all of our creativity, God-given creativity, spirit-led imagination, passion and love of God and for one another to grow the church into the future. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.